Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we read and discuss a collection of comic books or a graphic novel. I'm your host, Dallas. I thought you were Aquawoman. What's going on? It's me, Aquawoman. <laughs> and I'm Anne. I'm not Lexi. Lexi is gone again, leaving me just here by myself. So sad. We miss Lexi. She texted me last night. She was so sad. She's like, I didn't get a chance to read anything. My week was so crazy after vacation. I was like, God bless. You're kicked off the podcast forever. No <laughs> forgiveness. No mercy. Two oh, strikes, you're out. Rest in peace. I'm gonna pull up. I'm gonna pull up the funeral march. Just give me a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get the drums. We'll play taps for her. Um, we do miss her, especially because this week is her favorite kind of show, book club, where Woo! we all get to read our own thing. And this week is A Night at the Eisners. Ba, 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 ba. There's the Dallas song for the week. Um, that is that is copyrighted. And if you exactly. use that soundbite in anything else, I will copyright claim your YouTube channel. And you're done yeah. for. And I'm more ruthless than Warner Brothers. Yeah, you will owe him your firstborn. I'm not kidding. I don't want it, actually. Uh, yes. I will then sell that firstborn <laughs> to someone that wants it. No, just give it to Goodwill. It's fine. <laughs> That's honestly what I would do with a baby if I got one right now. Oh my god! Could you uh, imagine if John and Martha Kent just dropped off? <laughs> I want, I want that Elseworld. Oh my god! Superman gosh. on the fire, fighter's doorstep. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, like the other day. All of my college friends are having kids, and I hate it. I'm like, you're all morons. We're children, and. One of them was like, dude, you should have one, too. It's the most magical thing. I was like, I would literally rather powder my nuts than have a kid. Like, no thanks. Like, oh, I felt this, my God. this deep, cosmic HP Lovecraft horror inside of me mm -hmm. at the idea of spending any of my money on diapers and formula right now. Right? Like, who has, who has the disposable income for that? I mean, if you do, good for you. It's not me. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, someday, that sounds great mm -hmm, for me. Right. But right now, hells to the no. Exactly. No way. No way, Jose. I honestly, my cat is as much responsibility as I can have, and she's basically a potted plant. Exactly. My ferret sleeps for 18 hours a day, and she's still up for too much time. Thank you very much. She is still too much of a handful. So true. When my cat gnaws on my toes, I'm like, I'm going to go home, get a vasectomy. No, thank you. <laughs> And she anyway, looks at me and she's like, I don't know how that helps. I'm a cat. I'm like, <laughs> adios. Anyway. anyway. We're talking about comics today. And there's a very special cat I can't wait to talk about. <laughs> Meow. All right. So the, the premise for today's episode is we went through the Eisner winning comics of 2021. There were a lot of great ones. We'll probably mention some of the great ones, mm -hmm. but each of us picked one that we were very, most excited about and wanted to talk about. And do you want to introduce what Eisner winning comic book you picked? Yes, I picked the Eisner winner for, I believe, best humor. Is it was best humor periodical, I believe was the title of it. And also the winner of the best limited series, Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen. And this book, it's one, it's by Matt Faction and Steve Lieber. 
Speed Leaper rules, by the way. If yeah. you've never interacted with him, he is the nicest man ever and super accessible. I'm going to send him a DM right after this and say, hey, we've never met, but I talked about you today. <laughs> He'd probably respond. He's so nice. I DM'd him one time and I was like, Ayo, you doing commissions? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, send me that Hellboy, baby boy. Oh. And so I have a Steve Lieber Hellboy somewhere over there. Beautiful. I need to see it. <laughs> I, okay, now I kind of want a commission of Hellboy, but as Turtle Jimmy Olsen. That rules. That yeah, rules right? so hard. Okay. <clears throat> so this book, it was one I've been meaning to read for a little while, but it's because everyone's been talking about it. Everyone <laughs> keeps telling me, like, you have to read this book. It's hilarious. You're going to love it. It's just, it, there's no other way to explain it. And they were right. There's like no way to explain this. It's a book full of just pure Silver Age nonsense put into like this more contemporary modern setting. And somehow it still works. And that's the craziest part about it. Any book that has like these perfect moments that you want to screenshot and show everyone like you like there's parts of this book I wanted to show my mom and she has no I she does not read comics at all she doesn't understand it but I'm like this is hilarious I need everyone in my life to understand and to see this panel um just sp very specifically the panel of gorilla CNN for some reason has been stuck in my head <laughs> <laughs> for the last like 24 hours <laughs> I just haven't think of anything else <laughs> This, that book understands that Gorilla City is objectively the best locale in no, Detective Comics no, comics. Obviously, yeah. It's I, I tweeted this out earlier today. The fact that we do not visit DC Gorilla City in at least one DC comic every week is a sin. It's a crime against me personally. And I think JL Ape had the right idea. We need more of it. So, um this i actually i i looked up a little bit of an interview and um matt faction was faction was talking about the run and he basically described it as the dc universe through the perspective through the lens of jimmy olsen's eyes and how jimmy olsen is a character who all these crazy things happen to like you go back and you look at the silver age comics and my favorite cover of all time is just him destroying like the golden gate bridge as a giant lizard man and superman's like oh come on i told you not to do that <laughs> and it's just crazy the like antics he used to get up to and all these remarkable things that happen to him that he just shakes off and <laughs> decides to to do again later he's like oh that's just an average tuesday and there's a line at the beginning of this book where he's talking to his older brother and his brother was like, you only have one story. And I forget what that one story was, but it's like, no, Jimmy Olsen's got so many stories. He woke up married to a jewel thief after a long night promoting his book in Gorilla City. And there was a cat puking napalm blood in the bathroom. And it's like, you only got one story and it's not that one. Yeah, it's because I'm Jimmy Olsen. I'm Jimathon Olsen. I'm Jimbo. And Jimply. Jimply. Jimmy. <laughs> and <laughs> it's, just, I, it's a book that makes you smile. It's one that you actually have to sit down for. It's a very wordy book, but you want to mm -hmm. like digest all of it because every word is completely worth it. I love how each issue has like three different like intros, you know, like. It has that long spiel introducing the scene and Matt Fraction actually described it as having like a very ADHD feel where it's like all these stories that just flow 
they have in the way that they have no flow they just jump from one to the other and you're so confused like what's going on why are we doing this and this and this and then at the end it all kind of like comes together and you understand it and it actually tells on a like more serious note it actually tells a really compelling story about Jimmy Olsen's family and his heritage and just like what that means and that last issue like the reveal like you knew something like it was coming but the way that Jimmy interacts with Lex Luthor throughout the series peaks right there at the end and you're like oh my god that was that I think it's my favorite Lex Luthor moment in years oh yeah yeah anything is better than him being like Brainiac Jr so it's true it's true I think this book was so magical because not only does Matt Fraction obviously have a talent for writing characters comedically, mm-hmm. but Steve Lieber captures a sort of like golden age, silver age aesthetic to these characters, but makes it so funny. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like everyone talks about uh, Doc Shaner's Superman, Doc Shaner's Aquaman, rightfully mm-hmm. so. They're amazing, right? Doc Shaner draws perfect silver age characters exactly Mm -hmm. but honestly i think steve lieber similarly draws perfect silver age versions of these dc characters Mm -hmm. but he draws he draws them doing the funniest things you've ever seen in your life you know i still have the image of the gorilla fighter pilot (laughs) in his little hat and like um pilot scar just (laughs) coming after a king kong sized jimmy olsen on top of the empire state building and it's just the way those images stick with you. And mm-hmm. I really want to give a shout out to the colorist too. I need to, um, I think it's Fairbairn. I'm not sure what they're, of course they're not listed in the article, but they do such a great job just keeping things like really bright. And um, what's the word I'm looking for? Everything's very bright. I don't want to say simple, but the shading is, it, it reminds me of that silver age and golden age era you know mm-hmm. it, it feels reminiscent of that it feels like a callback to that and it makes it feel like even though it's contemporary it brings that like classic nostalgic like flavor out of it you know i think it's so interesting that i mean last couple weeks ago we were talking about grant morrison right and every yeah. episode i'm contractually obligated to bring up grant morrison <laughs> every episode uh but of something course. that that they love to do is take sort of the gonzo feel of the Silver Age and bring it forward into their comics, you know? And it's so interesting to see Matt Fraction, who is also clearly inspired by the Silver Age, but likes the silliness of it, and to bring that forward. And to see, okay, both of you are drawing from the same material, but to such different ends, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think it shows some of the magic of what comic books can be, right? Exactly. I think something that not to get too tangential, but something that a lot of people have been talking about this last week has been James Gunn's Suicide Squad, right? Which similarly feels like a colorful Silver Age comic book brought mm-hmm. to life in all of its kooky, funny glory. And I would argue if you like that movie, which it seems a lot of people do, you should read Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen mm-hmm. because it is similarly way the F out there super hot super well done and funny yeah kooky is the right word for it and it just goes on so many different like fun tangents i don't think there's anything in here i didn't like and it's it's nathan fairborn fairbairn i believe who is the um the colorist on here 
fantastic job, absolutely phenomenal. And there's moments where the art takes these changes to fit with different like moments in the story. Like I like the flashback scenes where it brings up like this peanuts aesthetic. And yes. that works so well for just a young and like, I don't want to say clueless because I know Jimmy Olsen is very much, he knows what he's about. He seems like very aloof, very airheaded, but that's, you know, that's by design. That's because Jimmy's like, everything's okay. Everything's always going to be okay because it will be. And I like seeing that side of him. I also, I think we talk, we're talking a lot about how funny this book is, which it mm -hmm. is. It's very silly, but I also think there is an amount of emotional depth in the book oh, yeah. that, that people skip over. I think the idea of Jimmy Olsen being able to act how he did because he always had a safety net and him having to learn later in life than most what it means to be an adult that has right. to figure stuff out on your own is a really compelling story. You know, it's the kind of character beat that feels right for Jimmy mm -hmm. and can make you, I mean, I feel like I'm right at the perfect age to really resonate with like, oh, I'm having to become an adult in a way that doesn't get romanticized in fiction. You right. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And this book is about that era of life, which is yeah. very fun. Because if you look at the book, there's a lot of crazy things that happen in it. But if you look at all these things, they have one common thread. And the common thread is that they happen because Jimmy Olsen is, you know, who he is. He just, uh, what's... Sorry, I'm looking for the right way to put this. They're not, they're caused directly by Jimmy's inability to be an adult. Mm -hmm. Like, there's the thread that's Jix, who is married to him and has to deal with his nonsense because he hasn't annulled the marriage yet. There's the thread, of course, about his inheritance and someone who wants it and the fact that they only want it because he doesn't even use it. He doesn't even know he has it. And just to begin the story, the you know, the um, inciting incident that starts all of this is the fact that he jumped out of a plane for, like, attention, and he became a giant turtle and crashed into a big monument, which accidentally gave Lex Luthor control of the entire city. So it's mm -hmm. like his, not irresponsibility, but the fact that he treats everything like a game and that nothing does bother him, it's like, in some ways, that's a benefit, but also... In some ways, it's definitely a detriment. And him coming to terms with that and realizing he has to take responsibility for some of the things in his life, that that's when the whole series, series really comes to a head. Because you can have the funniest book out there, you can have the funniest movie out there, the funniest anything, but if it doesn't have heart to it, it will not land as anything more than a funny joke. Mm -hmm. This will stick with you because it has that soul with it. It has that teachable moment with Jimmy Olsen where he has to actually grow he has to literally grow up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, I will say, though, Anne, that you have to give Brian Michael Bendis some props for bringing over his pal, Matt Fraction, to the Superman uh -huh. world to make this happen. Yeah. I don't know Bendis what the opposite of a monkey's book, paw is. Bendis could not have written this book. But oh. Matt Fraction wouldn't have gone over to write it if, his, if Daddy Bendis didn't bring him. Yeah. Oh, which reminds me, by the way, if you want to read this book, you have to make sure you pick up Leviathan Rising, number one, because there's a little mini in there that acts as like a little prologue to the entire story. I'm not sure if it's included with the collected editions. I would have to imagine it is. I'd have to it's, pull it off the shelf. I don't know. It's, it's the scene in the hotel room. Mm -hmm. So if it's in the collection, then that's the scene I'm talking about. 
Yeah, I'll have to check after this. I don't want to wander away, waddle away from my setup. How dare you putting in minimum effort? I can't believe it. Who I would have. I would happily waddle, but of course I don't have to waddle. I can just roll. Look at me roll. I ooh, can reach my ooh, books right now. Ooh, look at her roll. See, <laughs> of course you sh- can't. It's an audio show, so. <laughs> but I can. But and I that's, can. That's my privilege, everyone. I'd like to talk about my privilege for a moment. <laughs> this is a visual medium for me. A... <laughs> 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 I can see and you can't. <laughs> That's the only privilege I'd like to acknowledge as me, exactly. a white, straight male. That's my, the only one you have. My one privilege is that I'm on the video call right now. Oh, jeez. What a okay. great episode. Alexis, come back. Save us. Exactly. Save us Save from us ourselves. From this, this privilege. From all this privilege. But yeah, I was I was very happy to read this this week, and I would recommend it to literally everyone. There's, I think it's going to be hard to find anyone who doesn't like this book, and especially for all you Jimmy Olsen haters out there, like Jesus, get on this, <laughs> please it read really, this book. It honestly felt like performative art that this week when we were going to talk about mm-hmm. this, and right after it won all the Eisners in the world, everyone's like Jimmy Olsen isn't an important character. Oh. It, that's because it happens every other week. It's a Tuesday thing. It's just every every other Tuesday is Jimmy versus the trolls. It's 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 insane, but people are gonna have their weirdo opinions about the guy just because he's not a superhero. So that automatic any character that doesn't have powers automatically worthless in comics serves no purpose. I I thought this was common knowledge. I mean, true. It's as useless as a human in a Godzilla plot. Am I right, guys? Exactly. Am I right? Uh, I could use a Jimmy Olsen in my next Godzilla movie. I honestly would kill to <clears throat> Millie Bobby Brown starring as Jimmy Olsen in the next Godzilla oh. movie. See, no one cares about Jimmy Olsen until they cast Millie Bobby Brown as her, and then all of a sudden everyone cares about Jimmy Olsen. Bingo, baby. That Finn wolf snack kid can play mm-hmm. Jimmy Olsen. I hate... There's a part of me that is deeply disturbed that there are... People that are younger than me now that are making so much money and being so famous. I didn't think this time would come, but here we are. Exactly. And I, I hate it here. I keep thinking about that. It's like I'm watching big blockbuster movies with characters who are younger than me. And it's like, I don't like that. I don't, I don't like seeing trailers for teen dramas coming out knowing I'm no longer a teen. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, <laughs> oh no. no. <laughs> I have, I've passed that time in my life. My birthday is next Thursday. I'm going to be 26. I, I, I'm done. <laughs> I give up. The Crypt Keeper. Exactly. Just bury me now. <laughs> bury me with Jimmy Olsen's <laughs> book in Jimmy my arm. <laughs> no, with Jimmy Olsen. Literally Jimmy Olsen. Bring him out of the comics. I we'll mean, get... Zack Snyder killed him, so I guess you can bury me with Jimmy True. Olsen. <laughs> True. We'll get you a life model decoy of Anne. Yeah. No, I tell you what, though. I would trade all of all of the Snyderverse for just one Jimmy Olsen movie. <laughs> It'd be so good. Who do you want to direct right? it? Who do you want to direct that movie? Oh my god. <laughs> Taika Waititi, baby. You read my freaking mind, but that's because I know one comedic director. <laughs> Bingo. That's exactly it. I was like, who's the comedy director I like? It's, Taika Waititi, baby. That's about it. <laughs> I he and I think he has like there's a difference between like comedic and humor because I've like James Gunn is a very humorous director, but he's a very mature director at the same time. You need 
you need that sense of wonder in a Jimmy Olsen movie. So you need someone who understands humor, but can also make it very lighthearted. I want, look me in the eyes and tell me what we do in the shadows isn't already just kind of a Jimmy Olsen movie. <laughs> that was Jimmy Olsen recording it. That, that makes exactly, so much sense. Exactly. <laughs> tell me that wouldn't read as an issue of this comic book. That would be perfect. I, I could see these characters showing up for that final battle. So We're werewolves, not swearwolves. Werewolves, not swearwolves. <laughs> that line is in the Jimmy Olsen comic. Easy. <laughs> Jimmy Olsen probably has a shirt with that on it. I want to say one thing about the Jimmy Olsen book. Um, the issue where Jimmy dies, you know, uh, I guess Fraction's son read through it and was like, oh, dad, this book's really good. But why didn't you title this issue Burying the Lead? And <laughs> Fraction was like, I'm retiring from comics. I, I give up. That's the funniest thing anyone's ever said. And I give up from comics. Oh. And there's, I love, just a side note, I love all the little titles in this and the like little spiels in front of each one. My favorite of all of them has to be the moment where they're talking about Gotham and they say, Gotham City, the city's so nice, we named it, period. <laughs> <laughs> we named it, you know, <laughs> ta-da. Ta-da. <laughs> and then the, the lights like sputter and then pop. And then the sign falls. One of the letters is just hanging by a single screw. Uh, it's just, it's so self-aware. It's its nice. Whenever someone's like, DC Comics always so dark and grim, I'm like, no, you're ridiculous. Neither DC nor Marvel has an overall tone. Yeah. And that becomes so obvious when you look at books like this. It's just good to have a moment where it's like, they have such fun with these wacky, crazy characters and the as someone who loves Batman very much but does appreciate a good bat ribbing every now and then it was good to see how much Timmy Olsen picked on Batman while he was in Gotham he stole the wheel to the Batmobile of course it was so funny it was so so funny <laughs> and like the way they phrased it in the balloon was like the Batmobile has once again lost its wheel and, like, I immediately just went into the Christmas song in my head. Exactly. And my favorite, though, has to be him flooding the street with 17 Jokers, saying, I'm going to keep adding Jokers until Batman notices. <laughs> <laughs> it's so perfect. It's you Jeff know, Jones, baby. Yeah. I, I showed my partner, and they were like, this is like Jake Paul. I'm like, exactly. Imagine bloggers in the DC universe. It has to be insane they have to pull shit like this all the time and i hope that batman punches all of them batman versus jake paul <laughs> oh. oh i can't tell if jimmy olsen would be friends with jake paul or if he would be bothered by jake paul oh oh he would hate jake paul he's like i'm just doing timmy olsen as a bit this is your actual personality i hate you <laughs> he's not He's not Superman's pal because he would pal around Jake Olsen. I almost said Jake Olsen. Jake oh Olsen. My God. Jake oh, Olsen. That's, that's so cursed. Speaking of Superman, though, what did you think about their relationship in this? I thought it was sweet. Right? Yeah, I like that it, it actually read as Superman's pal and not Superman's <laughs> damsel in distress. Right. It's Jimmy not like... Olsen. It's like sometimes I feel like Superman just kind of treats Jimmy like, oh, you're that friendly follower I have good day sir and he's like oh i'm superman's pal no it's like they're actually hanging out like best friends 
Yeah, and, and you can see what Jimmy adds to the relationship. Exactly. So like, he defuses Superman after a long day, you know? Yeah, because yeah, just that interview where Superman's, like, talking through all of his powers, and he just kind of steeples his hands, and he's like, I can make someone buy me a hot dog whenever I want. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I can't. It's nice to see, because there's moments in this book where I kind of, like, have to, like, suspend some like you set up a suspension of disbelief for the DC universe as a whole. And I feel like this book, you have to set up an extra bubble around that. Like you have to understand Dexter is in it, but his vomit isn't as vile <laughs> and as explosive as it normally is. Just accept that it's here for the funny gag, Accept that the fall off arm boy is in the 21st century. And he has a family, including a grandma whose butt shoots off like a rocket. Just, ex <laughs> just accept it. But I feel like the moments between him and Superman could be, like, firm, concrete canon. I feel like Superman is always so perfect. It's nice to see him get someone where he doesn't have to be perfect around. He can just be a person. And I think that's really special. I feel like I've always liked he and Jimmy's relationship. I really think this is the first time I've seen, oh, Jimmy does just as much for Clark as Clark does for Jimmy. Mm -hmm. You know? I, the relationship didn't feel patronizing at all. Exactly. And I thought that was really special. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, all I want to do is sing the praises of this book Fine. all day long, you know, and it's, it's fun. I want to go back now and read it all as a collection because yeah. I read it week to week. And mm -hmm. I think it would probably read a little bit differently all in one big chunk. It binging it. It's definitely, it feels like a big thing to binge because there's just so much to it and there's so much happening at once. You feel like you have to, keep track of so much but it's definitely a book i feel would would definitely benefit from a couple read-throughs space it out on your first run but then your second run just go straight through it because everything makes more sense so i think you should be fine going back yeah i liked you saying that it felt like an adhd version of a story mm -hmm. it's me and my wife actually last night were talking about she has hypochondriac diagnosed herself with adhd because her right. stories are so winding uh, last night she was in a story, within a story, within a story, within a story to, like, give context. And I was like, yeah. you got to start pulling threads, man. You got to come back to the main <laughs> one. Got to get back to the main event. Oh. And that is a little how this book feels. But every diversion is funny. Every diversion yeah. is heartfelt. <clears throat> it's beautiful. And they do get back to the main event, which is what really pulls it all together. So, Correct. I, yeah. And honestly... Matt Fraction, you rule. Steve Lieber, you rule so hard. Yeah. <laughs> you rule so hard. Your artwork is so funny. And you are just a charming, funny man. So thank you for this. Please send us free stuff. <laughs> Please come on our podcast. I'm going to exactly. tag you in this because you're nice enough to listen. Come be on our podcast so we can praise you. We'll read Superior Foes and have you on. Oh, my God. I would love that. I haven't read that book since it came out. Tell that me that would be, be fantastic. Great. That would be so fun. All right. Do you have any other thoughts about your boy Jim Flea before we move on? <laughs> no, I don't have any more thoughts about Jimathan. Jim, Jim, Jimathan. I just, I wish, I, I wanted to keep a list of every time they called him a different name and then just read them all out loud just to myself as a special treat. <laughs> but so good. I did, right? It's oh. so good. Speaking right. of nice and wholesome things, let's go the opposite direction. <laughs> <laughs> let's get let's get the heck out of Dodge. Yeah, we've had too much fun. Let's let's talk about the end of the world. <laughs> All right. So for my Eisner pick, I went through the list and I was actually pretty proud of myself. I had read 
like 95% of the books on the list this year. And I was like, oh boy. But one that I had not read yet, which was on my list, mm-hmm. was, bum it was, I liked the, their section. They were like, best graphic novel from Japan. I was like, bold of us to do in an American yes. award show. First <laughs> off, that's hilarious. We're like, the best Japan right there. The best what, Japan. <laughs> what did Junji Ito do this year? We're not reading anything else. Ah, uh, there it is. Ding, ding. Hurrah for Israel. Um, <laughs> but that's how I ended up reading Ramina or Remina. I don't Ramina. know. Oh, it, I literally had it upside down. Good for me. Um, Remina from Junji Ito, which if you aren't familiar with Junji Ito, he is a horror. It's mangaka, right? That's the term for someone who I, makes manga. I don't know. That, I'm. It sounds right. You know what? From my limited Japanese, it sounds right. From my American podcast about the Eisners that rec- that said that this was the best thing Japan made last year, I'm going to say mangaka is correct. <laughs> With all the confidence of the United States of America there behind you go. That's the most American thing we can do. Exactly. God bless the U.S. of A. I hope everyone can hear the satire in my voice. Um... <laughs> But Junji Ito is a widely celebrated mm-hmm. uh, horror mangaka, most famous for his books Uzumaki and Tomei, probably, are the two biggest ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I personally, I've read Uzumaki and really, really loved it. I do think for me, just before I even get into it, this book's really good, but I do <laughs> think it suffered a little bit from me expecting it to be Uzumaki, and it wasn't yep. quite Uzumaki, if that makes sense. Yeah. It felt a little bit like when Taylor Swift releases an album and you're like, I mean, yeah, it's the best thing that's come out in a while, but it's not as good as this other Taylor Swift album. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel that. That's a little bit how this book was, but it did rule. So the setup for Remina is basically an astronomer looks out into the void of space and sees a planet. He names it after his daughter, But in observing that planet, the planet looks back and decides to come and observe us a little bit closer. And so begins a very clearly H.P. Lovecraft-influenced cosmic horror story by one of the best horror comic bookers, mangakas in the world. Um, And you've read Remina, correct? Yes, I have. What did you think of it? So Junji Ito was one of my favorite discoveries of last year because he'd been one of those people I'd heard about so much, but it wasn't until quarantine and I had to settle down, pick up a couple graphic novels that I actually started to, you know, read his work and figure out what he was about. And something a lot of people don't know about me because it's not something I really put out there is honestly, horror comics don't usually work for me. Horror has to be something very special for me to get attached to. It has to be something very unique. It has to be something that blows me away for me to care because I've seen a thousand and one generic horror movies, a thousand and one generic ghost stories and, you know, zombie stories. I've seen it all before. You have to surprise me. You have to shock me to make me care about horror. And Junji Ito is the most perfect horror, like, craftian I have encountered in, like, the last decade. Because everything he does, there is no explanation for. I love horror that you read And you don't know what you're reading about. That Lovecraftian Mm -hmm. sense of mystery and just pure 
because you know if talking going back to like ghosts it's like you know what a ghost is it's the soul of a deceased person haunting a certain place you know what a, a vampire is it's someone undead who sucks blood and you can beat them by putting a stake through the heart and garlic holy water stuff like that i love junji ito's work because it's stuff you don't know how to beat you don't know how to stop an actual living planet that has decided it's going to come to your solar system and mess you up you don't there's no way to save yourself from that horror you don't know how to stop yourself from going into these giant holes in the wall that you get squeezed into in like um the enigma of amagara fault you don't know how to make things stop <laughs> turning into spirals in uzimaki it's just everything he does makes you unnerved because it's inexplainable and this is like the peak of that i love cosmic horrors so much and i have a special relationship with this story because i've written a good deal of horror short stories they're all under like my dead name which i'm gonna call my pen name from now on <laughs> so it's like i don't advertise them fully and i actually wrote a story years ago that is scarily familiar to remina so when i read this i'm like oh my god we had the same idea hmm. except that he did it so much better because there's <laughs> actually a story here mine was just kind of like hey there's this creepy idea what if this was a thing and it's the idea of what if there's something in space that is so terrifying and menacing and inexplainable that we can't do anything about and that's what remina is at its core it's just sitting and waiting for the dark of space to come and devour us whole and i think there's something so so unique about that it holds a special place in my heart just like most of his stories do it's a nightmare made real yeah i honestly i i love horror comics but mm -hmm. i think it's because i'm a giant ninny when it comes to horror it was like <laughs> Three years ago, my now wife and I decided, like, we both hate horror movies, mm -hmm. but we should give them a try. Now that we have someone that, like, we can openly be scared and be like, turn it off, I hate it, you know? And we ended up both really liking it quite a bit. And yeah. so we've had, like, this little horror renaissance for the two of us. Um, but way before that, I really liked horror comics because there are no jump scares in mm -hmm. horror comics. And so it... For me, it just kind of felt like regular stories with heightened stakes for a very long time, right? I don't think I've bumped into many Western horror comics that really made me like, oh, I need to stop reading this for a while. But like, like Junji Ito writes stuff that makes me need to stop reading for a while. Right. Like there are bits in Uzumaki, like the, the mosquito babies, mm -hmm. where I was like, I'm not going to read this for a minute. I'm going to put it down, not think about it the end or like reading remina when the planet opened its eye right i was like i just had such a visceral reaction to like what if i saw that in the sky not only is like there a new planet in the sky but then it opens an eye at me i'm like mm -hmm. absolutely not nope no thank you goodbye goodbye forever there's just something so primally unnerving that i thought about one night while i'm just looking at the sky i'm like we're on this ball in the middle of nothingness and for half the time we're on it we get turned away from the light and forced to look out into the darkness and just the the expanse beyond and that is just the most terrifying thing i can possibly imagine just looking out into everything and the idea that something looks back at you and that something sees you and that it wants to hurt you 
it's it's it tingles my imagination in ways that very few other things do and it's it's weird saying that because horror is usually so dark and it's depressing and it it's very macabre you know mm-hmm. but i think there's something to be said about the way that fear makes our imaginations work over time you know it makes us it it really kicks our butts in the gear in a way because there's no there's nothing that pushes you further than the idea of like i need to survive i need to find some way to beat this and it makes you think and it it sticks with you for so long after the story i think there's something even though it's you know it's dreadful it's terrifying good horror will make you sit up sweating in the middle of the night because you just can't sleep I think there's something so magical about that, about how it sticks with you and how it makes you reconsider not only your place in the universe, but like your play, your role as like a person on this planet. And I think it helps contextualize some of the bigger, you know, concepts in life, like mortality and death. And I think that's, even though it's uncomfortable, I think it's something that everyone benefits from, you know, because these are really big topics that these stories tackle in such interesting ways i think it's the healthiest way to deal with a lot of these very existential issues i would agree i think you nailed right on the head what makes cosmic horror so fun for me as like the idea of that big abyss that you have to fill you know like in real life i i was a kid that was definitely scared of the dark you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and I even catch myself sometimes as an adult, like when I'm swimming in deep water, I'm like, oh, I just got a tingle up my spine and I need to get out for a minute because I there's a kraken underneath me. You know what I mean? And cosmic horror is that times 10, you know, like there's absolutely no way that there's nothing out there, you know, exactly. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, you'll get a tingle that like there's something menacing out there, you know? I also, oh, what a good noodle. And just picked <laughs> up her ferret. Um, she was sitting on the floor. She looks so bored. She can't leave the room right now because the bunny's out. No, you cannot. We're talking about a deadly planet that licks other planets. Yes, we are. Okay, honestly, anyway. <laughs> my cat is a deadly planet that licks other planets. A big old spherical creature. <laughs> Mood, my cat's shaped like a football. <laughs> <laughs> my cat was, like, as a kitten, all of a sudden it got so super stupid fat and then we were like oh no and so then we like cut back and but so now she has like a liposuction belly just for like the rest of her life or just like this nice little giblet she's, sack hanging there just a pouch she has she's a pouch of a cat. she has a pouch and oh, it's so no. funny i'll just reach over and grab it every once in a while she looks at me like well fuck you too bud she's like you did this <laughs> it's your <I'm> fault <laughs> i look like a moron and it's your fault I was like, yes, you do, sweetie. I love you. Um, I also, something that I thought of while you were talking as well, is Remina is like, if the Galactus saga was horrifying. Right. You know? Because, like, the idea, Galactus, when he shows up in his big purple awesome suit, you're like, oh, boy, this is going to be great. What a wonderful story. (laughs) A threat that is so out there that we can't solve it with regular means. Mm-hmm. And Remina's like, all right, but you don't have any super power- superheroes on your planet. Exactly. And also, it looks terrifying and not like a guy in a giant skirt. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's just, it's freaky. But kind of going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, these stories about larger-than-life characters like 
Superman, Godzilla, or a planet that eats your planet, they need a human element to ground mm-hmm. them. Exactly. And I think that Remina has a wonderful human element to it, where the planet gets named after the astronomer's daughter, mm-hmm. Remina. And so then the book has this like witch trial to it as well, you know, where it talks about the horror of the patriarchal society, like turning against women in yeah. times of horror and being like, things are going bad. Somehow it's the women's fault. We're going to burn her. You know what exactly. I mean? Mm-hmm. And it really its the first thing I've read in a long time that made me feel how uh, A24's The Witch made me feel when I watched that. I was like, oh, this is this is spooky. And I don't like it very much. Right. I think that's like the underspoken part of this. Obviously, a sentient planet demon that wants to eat us is terrifying enough on its own. But there's the the human aspect and how quickly we turn on each other to try to save ourselves. You know, it's Mm -hmm. and also it invokes like I grew up in a very small conservative town, very religiously focused. The biggest building in the town is a church and it's like this like mob mentality that i saw sometimes truly terrified me as a kid and there's like nothing crazy happening and i imagine like any story that kind of touches on like this mob belief of like we need to do this to appease something higher than ourselves that always unnerves me so seeing them turn against remina in the book it keeps things grounded but it's also low-key the scariest part of the book to me oh easily and just i don't want to spoil too many things in case people haven't read this because this reveal was really great for me but the reveal of how characters motivations shift throughout the book Mm -hmm. i don't know if you remember know what i'm talking about there's like a big reveal at the end yeah Mm -hmm. and that for me was incredibly intriguing right it's something we've talked about on this show Mm -hmm. where like if you love something so much and it doesn't love you back, like that can turn into hate for groups of people and to like make that the center of horror. I was like, Oh, you're, you are very good at this. Junji Ito. You are incredibly, incredibly good at horror. You know, (laughs) there's the hot take for the show. Junji Ito is good at horror. I don't know. I don't think people will be able to accept that one. We might get canceled for that. (laughs) True. True. That's what we'll get canceled for. (laughs) It was going to happen eventually. It might as well be for this. Perfect. And we're just going to keep chugging along, you know? Um, I fall into this rut when I... I feel like I can almost talk about and critique books better that I have, like, middle ground feelings on. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, I liked it, but didn't love it. But, like, I loved Remina. I loved Jimmy Olsen. And so I fall into this rut of being like, it's really good. You should read yeah. it. It's wonderful. I think um, we talked a lot about the storytelling, the artwork from Junji Ito, I feel like is at a polish that I haven't seen before. You can tell he's been doing this for a very long time. Yeah. And you see panels of like the planet's eyeball and the and rocket it's... approaching it. Mm-hmm. It's so evocative. Right. And it's just like, look, I'm looking at um, pictures of it right now too. Just the way he draws the planet's lips. It's yes. so so unnerving nothing about this world is symmetrical at all it's just it feels completely random it looks fleshy and alive and you know it's everything a planet shouldn't be in our in our mind so that's 
just the subtle ways that he uses texture to unnerve you is really, really interesting. And you look at it, like the level of detail he puts into the planet, he doesn't give that to the humans all the time. He only does that to the things he wants you to be afraid of. And it makes them like pop off the page, you know? Yeah. Like when they finally get to the surface of the planet. Oh my God. Very it's... much. You're like, oh, this is the guy that made Uzumaki. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good night. Goodbye. Throw that book across the room. <laughs> oh, if I haven't made it clear, but this is very much my style of horror. This is what works for me. And this is what I, this is, I will live and die by this style of horror. I, I think this is the best, this is horror at its peak, you know? I would agree. I'm a huge fan of cosmic horror, a huge fan of like cryptids, like Sasquatch and all that. So like, if you're not reading Department of Truth, that book rules everybody. I need to get on that. (laughs) And it's so good. This is now a podcast about Department of Truth. Oh my God. I'm so slow when it comes to indies because I try to get those mostly in like trades. Mm -hmm. So I'm always behind. (laughs) I don't follow those week to week, but I really should. I... I'm only following, like, Noctera and Eve right now, week to week, and that's about it. I feel like I've gotten to a point where I'm starting to drop superhero books for indie books, and it feels mm-hmm. good. Where Like, I love when the creator-owned scene is healthy. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll quick pitch for Department of Truth so you read it next, because when yeah. you read it, all of Twitter reads it, and then I get to talk about it with my friends. Oh, you I know? do have that effect on people. And so I always love when you'll start talking about a book and people are like, this book just got invented. Who would have thought of it? And I was like, yeah, honestly, that's, that's why I'm on Twitter. I want people to read the same things. I am because I read good things. <laughs> it's true. You do read good so. things. Um, but department of truth is about a, like all the American based conspiracy theories you've ever heard about, like Denver airport, Bigfoot, all uh-huh. that crap. But it's really about how, America tries to control its historical narrative, mm-hmm. which is like a very big theme in modern politics. And if you're looking around, you can see like, oh, okay, America wants to be perceived a certain way, and it's willing to do just about anything to be perceived that way. Mm-hmm. And that is what the Department of Truth is about. Wow, I can't believe they put politics in my comic books. I don't I... know. You gotta, you gotta work harder than that to sell me. You gotta. This woke SJW, and I can't do it with a straight face. <laughs> it was a little bit like today. I I read this whole thread about how manga is better than comics because they don't bother to put politics into manga. Oh, just and wait. I was like, <laughs> I was like, hello, yes, hello. I read Japan's best according to America, and oh, surprise, it had politics in it. I don't know what oh, to tell God. you, but here it is, Junji Ito, yep. one of the most celebrated manga creators in the world he's got politics right in his book you know what why can't they just be politics free back like akira why can't we do that again <laughs> i swear to i'm done with these people all they like i'm gonna go on my small little rant for a second the moment someone sees tits in a comic or manga they're like oh no politics here we're good everything's safe thank goodness that's that's all they look for <laughs> that's where the reading comprehension starts and stops Maybe a controversial statement, but god damn if it's not true. You know what I'm going to say? I say like it. tits and co- politics in my <laughs> comics. Amen. I, I'm not immune. 
I think sometimes they think that we're all like yeah, not into that as well. I'm like, it's I, insane. Like, I'm, I'm like, attracted to things as well. I'm like, I hate Carol Danvers swimsuit costume. And they're like, oh, you just want her to be so prude. I'm like, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> I'm gay. What do you <laughs> Like me, me, me so horny. <laughs> me so. Have you seen my Twitter? <laughs> All I talk about is blonde space women. Just calm down. Yeah, for real. Like we have that in common. I just want her to be a human being as exactly. well. Exactly. It's like I don't like, want a story about a blow-up doll. Like Carol come on. Dan- Carol Danvers was so much better when she was Miss Marvel. She was the same fucking character. You dumb. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Everything's okay. We're fine. Anyway, back to politics free comic books. Haircuts don't change a character, people. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're talking about a space planet, right? We're talking evil yeah. planets. Um Remina's gonna give the Earth a big old lick. Um <laughs> <laughs> they, they need to give Remina pants. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, uh sorry. I think Remina's a little bit too seductive for me. Uh, Oh, where's? I hope Alfred's listening. I, <laughs> I hope Pax is listening to. Give Remina a shirt. God Give, damn. Yeah, put right, Remina just out there, just titties out, tongue wrapped around the world. The this, sultry comic book. Yeah, we we should have mentioned this is actually an erotic story. So. Yeah, this is erotica. This is what I'm into. Surprise. <laughs> I just like come in like, honey, have I got a pitch for tonight? Oh my God! Could you be a planet, please? Cosmic erotica, cosmic erotica is a new genre, and I'm I'm mad. Tell me that doesn't sound like an album. First off, it cosmic does. erotica. That's a Lana Del Rey album. <laughs> I oh, listen to it. <laughs> I mean, I would too, frankly. Um, oh, we need Lexi back. <laughs> me too. I hope she listened to this and she's like, "My people need me." They. Exactly. This is a if this isn't a call for help, I don't know what is. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. All right. Okay. So, okay. We've got some questions this week. Yes. From the lovely people. We do have one we're gonna save for next week because it's a question specifically for Alexis. Mm-hmm. And so if that doesn't say the people want her back, I don't know what does. <laughs> but from Sean McLaughlin, mm-hmm. um, who famously sings in the arms of the angels song for those dead puppies and kitties. Um, thank you, Sean, for, for that beautiful piece. <laughs> hey, guys. Loving the show. Mm-hmm. What is a writer that you would most want to see write your favorite character, and what's one you don't want within a 12-foot radius of them? <laughs> I don't have an answer for this. Why would I have an answer for this? You broke Anne. You broke her. Oh, my God. Um... <laughs> You start, you start. I want to hear yours first. All right. So my favorite character is the planet from Remina. Um, and I would like, <laughs> I would love it to be written by Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Ooh, <laughs> that's a spicy take. <laughs> All right. My favorite character is Spider-Man, who actually was written quite well by Brian Michael Bendis. I'll throw that out mm-hmm. there. Um, yes. My favorite character is Spider-Man. I would love Gene Luen Yang to have a very long run on Spider-Man. Oh, that would be awesome. I think every time Spider-Man comes up in a story of his, he writes a Peter that is very funny, but is mature and doesn't come across as like the butt of every joke, 
if that makes sense. I think it's a really special balance between Peter definitely uses comedy to deflect stress off of himself. He he would come across as a little bit annoying to the other crime fighters, but there's an earnestness and a strength to the character that is admirable mm-hmm. that balances that <clears throat> out. You know, I love right. when like Daredevil's speech in Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil run about how Peter Parker is the very best of them all. I mean, granted, they're saying my favorite character is the best. <laughs> That's going to hit a note for me, right? Mm-hmm. But I think Jean Luen Yang would do an amazing job. My my real first answer would be Kelly Thompson, but she actually is getting to write Spider-Man coming up. Thank God. And I am incredibly excited. That's been my pitch for like five years, is that I want Kelly Thompson to write mm-hmm. Spider-Man. And so coming out of this dark age of Spider-Man comics, I'll say it. I'll go for the throat. I don't care. <laughs> I am very excited to have Kelly Thompson bringing in a new status quo with amazing contributors. Um, a character, this is a very spicy take. I We might lose followers for what I'm about to say. So, Oh, no. A character I don't want to see touch Spider-Man with a 12-foot pole is Donnie Cates. Ooh, that is a spicy take. Tell us about it. All right, so I I think Donny Cates is a talented writer. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed his time on Venom. I'm excited to see what he does with The Incredible Hulk. Um, every time he has written a Spider-Man story, it's been very dark and brooding and very focused on like the sad emotions that Peter Parker feels, which I think there's a place for within runs, but I would have a very hard time with an entire run about that mm-hmm. if that makes sense what comes to mind yeah. specifically there was a short story about how peter visit like once a year he visits every site where he couldn't save someone and they died in like one big masochistic day and it was supposed to be like i don't know what the emotions you were supposed to feel were but it it rang really sour for me i was like i don't like what's happening in this story it felt different and then like spider-man blue who which didn't have a writer by the way in case you were wondering it came down out of the heavens sans writer um peter going to leave a rose at the brooklyn bridge i'm like okay that's a sweet way to show the guilt that peter parker feels but him like rolling around in that sadness isn't something i'm very interested in and so I personally, I don't want Donny Cates to write Peter Parker, even though I know Spider-Man's his favorite character ever. I We have different opinions about what makes Spider-Man great. Right. If, like, there was a period of time where it's like, I remember Spider-Man was known for, like, that very dark... Like, he went through a very dark era in, like, the 80s, right? Like, 80s, 90s? Yep. I don't want to see that repeated. <laughs> I don't. And I think just a, just a little bit, I've read of the Spencer run, has been, like... It feels a lot like that. It's felt like abysmally dour. I very much don't like the Spencer run. <laughs> I don't like to talk about things I don't this... like, so I'm not going to go much further okay, than that. Okay, I'll move on then. I'll move on. <laughs> Actually, no. That's... Let's roll around in catharsis. Let's let's crap talk a run. <laughs> um, that's one of the reasons I want to see Kelly Thompson do it, because Kelly Thompson would write such a good Spider-Man, and mm-hmm. I'm excited to see what she does. Um, as for my picks, I was just thinking, like, who would I want to see... <clears throat> take on Captain Marvel because I'm getting my Aquaman pick. I want after Future State, I wanted Brandon Thomas to write Aquaman for the next ten years. That's all I wanted. I want him to write until Andy is an adult, and then he can write her again. <laughs> so that was that was my main thing. And we're getting the Green Arrow Aquaman mini, which 
on one hand so random on the other hand genius love it i'm here for it mm-hmm. and um so that's one aspect the captain marvel side though i'm like who could do her justice because i'm like what do i want most from captain marvel run i want her to like unleash i want something really unique i want something really special i want something more than just average day-to-day superheroing i want something that feels like complete even if it's just like a mini i want something that feels complete and my mind went straight to like i don't know if she would ever do it because i don't know how many comics she wants to do or if she even cares about the character at all but i think someone like nk jemison could do something really special with carol danvers especially with that sci-fi side because i i attest and i hope we get to talk about it someday far sector is the best piece of sci-fi literature that dc has put out in years it has mm-hmm. the most unique look at like the dc cosmos even if it's just one corner of the dc cosmos it's such a complete fleshed out world and we don't see that a lot and it's not just a complete fleshed out wor- world it's a unique and interesting world with like this very intricate and like complicated government and just like seeing that was so cool and seeing joe this new character interact in that environment was great and the way she writes joe is just so badass i want that for carol i feel like so many times people that write carol are just very timid they don't want to they don't want to push it too far they don't want to make her seem too powerful no i just i want her to let go put her in this alien environment where she has to like Give it all she's got or she's not going to survive. She's not going to save the day. I want to see her push to her limits. And with a cosmic character, I feel like there's much more space to be creative and inventive with that. And I think N.K. Jemisin could really, really bring that home. I like that a lot. I I 100% agree. I am so curious to see what or if N.K. Jemisin has a second project after Far Sector. Because she doesn't have to. She's... One of the most celebrated sci-fi writers of all time. She doesn't have to write comic books. Exactly. You know what I mean? She doesn't have to. But I'm really freaking glad she did. Yeah. <laughs> I love Far Sector. When that hardcover comes out, I am going to force Alexis to read it with us. Oh, that's, She'll love that, it. Right. Yeah. That's a book that I would buy an absolute version for in a heartbeat, which sucks because I don't know if DC's making absolutes anymore. My favorite format to buy any book in. I love absolute copies. But... um going to the more negative side which i usually hate to go it sucks because this is someone that's definitely written the character before and i swear to god if brian michael bendis ever comes within 20 feet of carol dampers ever again i'm gonna i'm gonna have an aneurysm and die before i have a chance to think dallas is dead <laughs> dallas is dead oh my god dallas wake up <laughs> i just I hope he doesn't listen to this. I, really, I think he's a nice man. No, no, as, as much shit as I give him, he's so he's one of the reasons I'm here. I the first book I ever read was Ultimate Spider-Man by Bendis, and it just it holds a special place in my heart. And Naomi is so awesome, and his Justice League run is phenomenal so far. It's been so it's been such a joy to read from week to week, and it went bi-monthly, to, like not bi-monthly, but like twice monthly, mm-hmm. and that was a joy to see. So he's doing he's doing good work. It's just writing Carol Danvers has never worked for me. His Carol Danvers has never worked. She's always been put off as a side character. Because honestly, I don't think he knows what to do with her, which is became very apparent to me when he made her basically the villain of Civil War Two, because apparently Carol got really really attached to Rhodey and was willing to just turn the world into a fascist state because of it. 
it's never made sense to me. I never enjoyed it. Um, it's just, I think, I want a writer who understands what they're doing with Carol. And I think that Bendis has never reached that level of understanding with her. Especially, I think it became really obvious when he was like doing his Guardians run and they advertised, oh, Captain Marvel's joining the team. And she's on more covers than she is actually in issues in that run. She's on covers for like two issues before she ever shows up. And it's it's embarrassing. <laughs> I just yeah. I hate I hated revisiting that run and reopening that trauma. <laughs> yeah. I remember when you were reading that, I was like, I remember thinking that when I was however old I was reading those mm-hmm. coming out, I was like, she's not really in these, but nope. okay, whatever. Not even a little. <laughs> I like the venoms on this team. Oh well. And he's he's barely in it too. He gets one arc. At least he gets an arc that's more than Carol got. True. But of course, in a Bendis book, Carol never got any arcs. She, I, Doing my Carol Danvers reread, she got like one moment to shine where she got to beat someone up and didn't get beaten up in return. Because there's there was a trend in like his new Avengers, Mighty Avengers stuff, where she would go in guns blazing, punch someone, but she would just get punched back harder and then someone else would have to solve the conflict. She didn't get to solve conflicts. She was there to punch once and then get beaten up. It, she she got warped a bunch. Exactly. You it happens once and it's like okay it happens twice it's a coincidence it happens three times I get angry. <laughs> so All that's right. what I have to say. Is there a a writer you don't want to see touch Aquaman? Um, or does Aquaman have to have an ongoing to make that an issue? <laughs> Why do you gotta do this? <laughs> you have to hurt me like this. Because you made me like a character right before he disappeared. Um, well, shit. <laughs> I don't, the DC side, I don't think there's as many writers that's like, I don't want to see them touch anything. I don't, I don't know. I feel like for me, Aquaman's more flexible than um, Carol is because he hasn't had any runs that have, okay, I don't want to see Colin Bunn ever touch him again, but he's, he did his thing. He get, he came in, he went out. I don't think anyone writes Aquaman in a particularly problematic way, so Nothing's coming to mind. All right. Let's just let's just say Rob Liefeld because <laughs> that would be my nightmare. Him doing anything is a nightmare. It's it's bad enough he drew Carol. It's I do bad think enough. One of the funniest things that's ever been pointed out to me is like Rob Liefeld's version of Machismo has inevitably made so many homoerotic comics. Like every character he's ever made has turned out gay, and it's so exactly. funny. It's so funny. And it's even. Did you ever see his comments when Shatterstar came out? Yeah, he's like, I'm going to undo that. Yeah. Like, you wrote the gayest character at Marvel, dude. I'm sorry. I don't... You, If your art was good, you'd be drawing some of the gayest art at Marvel, too. <laughs> you draw just ripped dudes. Calm down. Are you surprised? You're yeah. not surprised. Like, you just got bulging men on every page, sir. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's your human. It's your he-man thing. It except is in comics form. It is. It's. I'm gonna draw the straightest thing ever. Rippling biceps. Rippling men. Um. <laughs> Alexis and I were texting the other day, and she sent me a picture of Kira Knightley's character from Pirates of the Caribbean. I was like, the only thing that saved my heterosexuality, frankly. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's like those movies were an awakening for me. I was like, oh, that's not he, man. (laughs) I I need that sound. (laughs) Can we 
can we clip things? <laughs> All I gotta say is, damn, corsets gotta be one of my favorite genres. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. Next question. Uh, I actually want to end on a positive note. What is a writer that you did not expect to blow you away as much with any given character? Oh, um, Kelly Thompson, easily. I think that Captain Marvel run was the first time I'd ever read, read her work. I almost said read it or something like that. <laughs> it's the first time I ever read something by her. So I had no idea who she was. I had no expectations for the run. I just had fingers crossed it was going to be good. I remember looking at that run. I'm like, the only name I know in this is Amanda Connor, and she's just doing the cover. And it's 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 not even my favorite Amanda Connor cover. I, I don't like the Captain Marvel number one cover. Um, And I read it. I'm like, okay, this could be something really special. And that's something that I don't think Carol's had in comics since 2015. So that that blew me away. I was really pleasantly surprised by that. I like that. I think my answer is the Philip Kennedy Johnson Superman stuff that's going yes. on right now. Mm-hmm. I picked up The Last God because I love fantasy, right? And it didn't really hit for me. I was really? like, oh, whatever. Yeah, I was surprised. Everybody huh. seems to have loved it. And I... Yeah. For whatever reason, did not hit for me. Um, but then I saw he was taking over Superman, and I was like, oh, that'll be interesting. The last God guy is doing Superman. Mm-hmm. And the, his, especially his action comics comic, has been one of my favorite Superman things right? I've read mm-hmm. ever. And yeah. the fact that it's what's coming out right now while I'm having like my big Superman renaissance has been so nice. Superman is the book I look most forward to every week that it comes out, and that is a weird feeling. Right? But I oh. like it. Yeah, he's he's doing phenomenal work right now. I'm him and um Daniel um I hope I say his last name like Simpere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I phenomenal would say Saint work. Pierre, but yeah. yeah. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Um something else. This isn't a surprise, but it's a surprise to me that Marvel actually is letting something this good happen. Jin Yuan Yang's Shang-Chi run. Yes. Oh, my God. And the fact that they're letting it be monthly. They're letting the art team stay on it. They're letting, yeah. like, it Is seems it like ongoing? they're pretty hands-off. Yeah, right now it's an ongoing. Yeah. It okay, was a mini that, that became an ongoing. That's that's also something worth celebrating, because holy crap. <laughs> Marvel is in love with their minis right now. And the fact that we're getting a, a Shang-Chi ongoing for the first time in I don't know how many years, maybe, that's incredible. Long time. It's good. It's one of my favorite books every week. I knew, I I see his name on something, I buy it at this point, yeah, you know? Obviously. I know that I like it. But seeing him get to write that character, I was like, oh, this seems perfect. And just to see that being such a big success for Marvel has been really fun for me. Oh, yeah. I don't know. What else? Is there anything else before we go? I want to end on a positive note. <laughs> Was that? Okay, one second. Um, Let's see. I... Ooh, while you're thinking, James Tynan's it's, Batman has been very, very, very good. That's what I keep hearing. I, it's, it's like, it's one of the ones I'm trying to get into week to week, but it's like, I feel like I need to go back and start at the beginning before and get like caught up before I can like jump back into it. So it's like, it's one of the titles I see in my review pile every week. And it just kind of, I kind of just let it pass by because I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to jump on or if I want to read the whole thing. Because like, if I choose to read the whole thing, I'm going to be so far behind. But also the couple issues I've read have actually been really good. So, so my have you read his detective comics run? No. Uh yes, the first two or three arcs. Yes. Okay. If you liked that, his Batman run it just seems like a more polished version of that. 
Um, it's really good. Uh, the first arc was rocky for me. I didn't know if I was going to like it or not with like leading up to Joker war and then Joker war. I was like, we're doing another Joker story. I'm going to become the Joker. But then that was him getting to ship Joker off (laughs) into the nether realms to never be touched again. And that felt like something so personal to me, you know, I was like, wow. (laughs) Oh, good riddance. You want to talk about becoming the Joker. We are now at, um, because last week the Suicide Squad um, Get Joker book came out. Mm-hmm. I'm becoming the Joker because the two Joker books that I didn't want, I actually really liked. You bastard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so like um, the Tinny and March Joker going on right now, I think it works because it's a Jim Gordon book. Is mm-hmm. it a book that I needed? No, but it's giving me Bane's daughter who, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and just had her Kira Knightley moment. Yeah, that was my um, <laughs> like that's my come, that's my, my come to Jesus justice. moment with the, my come to Jesus moment in the Joker comic where it's like, okay, I I can be here for it if you want me to be here for it, I'll be here for it. And by it, I mean her and her arms <laughs> and her thighs. <laughs> okay, anyways, but also Suicide Squad get Joker shocked me last week. Because if you haven't read it yet, it has one of the most perfect twists in it. Like, for a Suicide Squad book, to make it feel original, they did something very unique, very special. And it terrified me. So, I'm guessing you haven't read it yet? I haven't. Color me intrigued. I was going to steer so clear of that book. Wow. (laughs) It might be worth checking out just for the last couple pages. Because... You read the last couple pages and you're like, oh my god, this is the worst possible scenario that could possibly happen to anyone in DC Comics. You feel so bad for the worst people in DC Comics. Because <laughs> you're Color like, oh no, intrigued. something terrible happened to the worst people I know and I feel bad about it. <laughs> I was about to make a joke, but then I didn't. <laughs> Fine, I'll make it. That's how it felt when Texas was frozen. Oh, Texas. Oh, poor Texas. Poor Texas. That's I where guess... Sandy from SpongeBob lives. Exactly. That's where my friend John lives. He he doesn't listen to this, but shout out to John. You a real one. Shout out to Hush if you're listening. I don't know if you are or not. I don't know. Um. All right. I feel like that's a happy note to end on. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I said something good about Joker. That's. That's never going to happen again. Yeah, bottle that right up. Ding. This episode had a little bit of everything. You know, us talking about politics and comics, us both being thirsty on Maine, and praise for the Joker. I don't know what else you could want. Yes. It's everything. (laughs) Being thirsty over a giant planet's tongue. Oh, my God. (laughs) Meow. Sultry, sultry cosmic horror. Uh... (laughs) We have a script for the end, right? <laughs> we do, we do. I'm gonna pull it up. Okay. Um. All right. Just heads up. I don't. I didn't check if we have any reviews, but I don't think we do. Okay. Um. If you liked the show and want to hear more from us through the week, please go and follow our Twitter account at CMX Collective, or you can find each of us at Dallas underscore Comics at and Comics 
and at LexiTaylor underscore one, two, three. If you enjoyed the show and want to show your support, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and give us a five-star review, and we will read it off. You will hear your name on a podcast, and that's so special. So please do it just for you, not for us. <laughs> just do it for your own fulfillment. It'll be great, I promise. It will five be stars. wonderful. Um, if you have any ideas for the show, that's a great place to put them because yes. we mm -hmm. have to read them out exactly. loud in front of everybody. Say five stars and then be like, Dallas and Anne, less horny on the show. We have to read that. <laughs> exactly. If you if you tell us to read Civil War Two, oh, on five we, stars. We probably won't, but we, we'll we read it on the won't. show. <laughs> we'll read your review. We will, we will say those words. You will hear our visceral reactions. We're we're setting a dangerous precedent. People are going to start are. just saying stuff they want to hear us say. I mean, do you want that or do you want five star reviews? I think it evens out. It balances it out. It does. Um, and finally, feel free to email us with your questions or comments for the show at thecomicscollective at gmail.com. And like it from this week, it doesn't have to be about what we're reading. Exactly. If you just have a random question, sometimes those are more fun, <laughs> frankly. So write in whatever the heck you want. Yeah. Well, just ask me how my ferret's doing. She's doing very well. Look at the lovely noodle. Look at her go. Bum, 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 bum. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. All right, everybody. We will see you next week for our episode on... Dun, dun, dun. Alexis is figuring it out right now. <laughs> but oh. I guess the next thing you'll hear after this is the special interview with David Pepos about oh. his book, his Kickstarter for the OZ. So make sure to check that out because it was really fun. Oh, it's so good. You guys need to read this book. It is a very good book. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.